Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 284 on Tuesday, the 29th of October, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be asking if it is entirely wise to drag a government into an accusation of conspiracy. We wonder if a measured conversation is possible about smart motorways. And we learn if the person who engraves the WRC Championship trophy just puts Sebastian on it out of habit. (laughs) But first, a smidgen of follow-up, and that is that uh, Gone's lawyers have come out, and I believe the technical term is are swinging for the bleachers. They've come out all guns blazing and other cliches about being really aggressive and spreading as much as possible against the uh, prosecutors to the point where they have accused Nissan, the prosecutors, and the Japanese government of all conspiring <laughs> against Carlos Ghosn because he wanted to take over Nissan with Renault <laughs> or amalgamate them properly as opposed to just being an alliance. You've got to be pretty sure that you're, you're, you're right whenever you're making that kind of claim. And there's an interesting thing about the timing of the claim as well, of course. Yeah. Because this week is Tokyo Motor Show. And so all the big cheeses of all of all the uh, media outlets of everything of everywhere are lo- are in Tokyo they're looking for announcements from Nissan uh, of new vehicles of of organizational stuff um yeah if you're going to if you're sure that you're kind of vaguely right with this stuff this is the time to announce it to get maximum media coverage yeah to 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 bring the government in as well and and to try and embarrass the Japanese government stroke nation is, as you say, you, you've got to be very, very sure. They've apparently outlined in their statement to the court, because they're also asking for the charges to be completely dropped because the prosecutors they uh, are alleging have behaved illegally and they've put forward some of these illegal actions in the statement, which in the coverage we've seen doesn't actually get uh, mentioned in mm. any detail it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens but they're they're implying that well they're, they're saying that nissan executive or nissan employees went into gone's residence and looked for stuff they're also accusing the prosecutors of taking stuff off uh, gone's family members including his wife so uh, yeah that he has changed his defense team and it was acknowledged at the time that they were a much more aggressive defense team as opposed to the passive one mm. that was seen as what he had. I don't think you can get quite much more aggressive than this, really. <laughs> yes. Well, not really. But And the thing is that the other week they were saying, well, you know, you've got to play the game. You've got to go. You've got to follow this through. You've got to see how it goes. Um, you know, you can't go out. Uh, you know, we can't go for big uh, publicity uh, publicity mm. announcements and these kind of things. And that was just a couple few weeks ago. Yeah. Guess what they've just done? That's right. But Gone didn't step up into a, um, a press conference to deliver this himself, <laughs> which was their major concern, I think. No, well, this is true. Anyway, should we move on to some... I don't know. I, I classed this under new news, but I wasn't sure if it was new news or follow-up, really, which is why it's the first story. Uh, I, I think it's new. You think it's new. Okay. Smart motorways. It's about 400 miles of them in England shirt already. As we all know, large sections of motorways like the M1, the M6, the M62, all these places we love driving. And they're about to be reviewed by the government, by Highways England, 
to check that they're safe enough, really. And this is an ongoing discussion that takes place on, on the social medias and stuff. It's reached almost religious fervor, really, with whether or not you are pro-smart motorway or anti-smart motorway. But what's important here is actually that it's acknowledged that there may well be an issue. I mean, we talked that there were, we talked the other week that they were revising how many uh, locations there were of safety laybys and stopping places. It's refuge points, wasn't it? Refuge points. That's the words. That's, I know what it is. I'm looking, I'm trying to say it's just actually finding the words today. We'll get through together, Alan. Come on. We can do it. (laughs) It's on there. So it is actually all being reviewed. But part of the problem is not, I don't know, they're seen as too complicated. And to be honest, uh, what's my opinion on this? Sometimes they can be too complicated. Yes. When stuff flicks from side from one to the other and you're and the roads are busy and the uh, lanes open and close, I, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm not, you know, a religious fanatic on it. But I, what I do like that they ease congestion with the variable speed limits and stuff. I'm a total fan of that kind of thing. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. I, I have chatted in a, in a very sensible manner. Oh, it was a very sensible conversation, which was, which was nice to have with um, one chap whose company does do recovery on smart motorways. And he was explaining some of the dangers for his, his drivers and his staff. And uh, it is scary. And it, it, it is, it, it is a worry, but when the news of this came out, mm-hmm. what I, I I asked this on Twitter. Uh, What I'd like to see is comparisons with a motorway that does have a hard shoulder with, you know, how many people are being, uh, how many accidents are happening on hard shoulders that are are there as a normal hard shoulder. Because hard shoulders are dangerous places anyway. Exactly. Because that that was going to be part of my point is you are told, you're not advised, you are told to get out of your car and stand on the verge well away from the thing because it is acknowledged that people drive up the back of them. And there's you, the, we see that quite often on social media that there's regular pictures get shown, you know, stay clear of your car and all this sort of thing where you can see a concertina hmm. car because a lorry's gone in the back of it or whatever. I hope this is gonna, there is going to be a sensible conversation about this because, like you said, for the purpose of them working, they work well. There are bits to that need tweaking, certainly, I agree. It would be interesting to see an experiment of them being three lanes as as a smart motorway with the fourth lane kept as just as a lay-by and see uh, not lay-by, uh, hard shoulder hmm. and see if if they still work. That's but that's that's been done for years on the M25. That's been done for years on the M25, and yes, it it does seem to still work. Yeah, maybe that's a short term solution. So that kind of variable speed limit setup is not unusual. All the when we talk about the, the almost fanatical screaming on on Twitter, then drivers have to take some responsibility as well. There's a huge big red cross there, and and for them, and if if you don't understand what that means. I think it can be strongly argued that you shouldn't be on the motorway. It's it's not like this hasn't been out for ages. And if you're not trying to educate yourself a little bit, mm-hmm. or if you cannot see beyond the end of your bonnet, then you're a danger to traffic full stop, whether it's a smart motorway or an A road or a B road. So 
you know, drivers have to take responsibility too. Don't be silly. Education's hard. Everything should just be delivered to a driver, straight to them. They shouldn't have to do any thinking at all when you're driving, Andrew. Of course not. Sorry. Foolish me. I am so foolish. I do apologize, everybody, for, for, for being a dreamer. Ridiculous statement for you making tonight. <laughs> right, let's move on. And we're going to go back to the, yes, to the Eula zone of London. And there is a new £25 million scrappage scheme, which has been launched by uh, the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. And this is aimed at low-income and disabled residents. The targets are to scrap older cars and, interestingly this time, motorbikes, which I've noticed on the Twitters has caused uh, quite a bit of hoo-ha from the motorbikists community about old bikes disappearing they're just behind the rest of us because Mm. frankly i've noticed there are fewer and fewer interesting cars in central you know within the congestion zone zone over the last few months since the ulez came in it's becoming the walk that i will do tomorrow is becoming is becoming more tedious there is far less interesting stuff it used to be I, i couldn't go to london without snapping something for the instagrams nowadays it's becoming harder and harder but so that means it's working then i don't know working is a to be honest there weren't that many other Mm. there aren't that many private cars in central london anyway yeah relative Mm. to everything else on the road there are not that many private cars in central london yeah and if there are, yeah. then they're modern and they're expensive. I suppose so. But it's good to see that all the money made from the fines is actually being put to good use and is being put <laughs> back into the system <laughs> by by this scrappage scheme. <laughs> More seriously, though, it, it it is good that they are targeting low-income families because that has been something that we've certainly highlighted uh, and there's another article later on in the show that uh, highlights that as well, because it it's easy for it to just be a tax on the poor. This, yeah, and and I don't, can't remember if you just said there, but it is an, a cash grant uh, that people are getting. It can be used on a used vehicle, which is elig- which is you know ULES eligible. Yeah, so it has to be a post Euro six diesel or a post Euro four car. Yeah, that it's spent on, yeah. you know, uh, but it but it doesn't have to be brand new. Which I guess is is good as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a good step because it's going to help yep. those of lower income. But uh, how much difference it'll make, I don't know. When when it moves out, the ULES zone moves out, then it will make a bigger difference. I feel. Yeah, I think so. <sighs> sadly, yes, yes, I think so. And that's not sadly because <laughs> I want evil, horrible, yeah. polluted air. By the way, it's just I like interesting things. Should we move on to the next one? More more money from the government. Well, no, there's really the promise. It's a commitment for the Department of Transport has been made uh, in response to the Transport Select Committee. Uh, and what they're doing is to is to place to make a case for a long-term funding plan in order to, to help the maintenance of local roads and try and get rid of some of the the potholes, the damage, the just general rubbish and lack of upkeep. Yep. Uh, that takes place on local local roads right across the country. Who knew that if you didn't invest in infrastructure, it would come back to bite you on the bottom? I mean, that really is as much as the story is, to be honest. But 
So at least something to do with the, the just, just, I don't know. I, I mean, round here, the roads get quite a pounding because I'm near industrial estates and, and, um, big warehouse parks around here. I mean, it's, it, it's more a case of which parts of, of Northamptonshire <laughs> haven't been turned into warehouses as opposed to which parts mm. have been turned into warehouses. Well, that's what it feels like right now. And anybody who's been up and down the M1 lately between sort of, Milton Keynes and Northampton will understand what I mean. Yeah, so so the trucks make a real a real hash of some of the roads around here, and and um, thanks to the new and interesting potential unitary council around um, in Northamptonshire and the the general bankruptness. Gee, thanks, local politicians. Then our roads are terrible. So I'm really hoping that we get we get some of this, even just to get yep. from here to, yep. you know, my local A-road. Yes, right. Moving on. And the news uh, from Bristol that they are proposing, which will be voted on this time next week, that uh, between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. every day, diesel vehicles will be banned from entering central area of Bristol. We are full of the doom and gloom tonight, aren't we, on these? I can't find a map at the moment that indicates what the central area of Bristol is is or how far it goes oh there, there is one because bristol resident chris the pollet uh happened to post one on social medias earlier on okay but they also are talking about creating a wider charging zone for buses taxis vans and lorries that don't meet emission standards and they are also proposing to launch a car scrappage scheme to help diesel car owners buy an alternative vehicle uh, part of the reason the mayor of Bristol, Marvin Rees, says they're doing this is because a flat charging thing would uh, actually hit vulnerable people, particularly those who are on lower income. Uh, yes, uh, we've we've discussed this, and that's something I f- I feel very strongly with a, a flat charging thing because typically people with the older, more polluting vehicles are struggling for choice. So if they can do, if Bristol can do something similar to how Sadiq Khan has just announced they are doing something in London, then that's a good thing. Mm. But I I don't know if just banning diesel cars is going to make that much difference. Yeah. um, I mean, part of it is that they will be charging for them, which I guess is really the appeal, but they're not being introduced until March, 2021. And they need to be approved by, the by the council first and then accepted by the government so this is not a done deal there are according to bristol live uh from the bristol post uh it looks like there are still a number of um a number of hoops to jump through yeah and it's already taken two years to get to this stage but it is not it is absolutely not not a given yet i'll put andrew i'll slot this into the i'll slot this link which has a map uh, into the show notes as well, so it w- it will be it will be there done. And there we go. That's 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 us being proactive on the move. A little bit of me says it's Bristol. Who cares? But uh, I'm sure people who live in Bristol and the surrounding areas care. So that's probably not a very a very sensible thing to say. I mean, again, again, clean air is you know, can only be a good thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, it's just. Interesting the different approaches that cities are taking, and it also reiterates the power that cities actually have now. Yeah, so they're definitely trying to have. Yeah, clean air is very much the theme tonight because France, 
The country of France has been defeated in the EU's uh, highest courts over warnings that big cities from Paris to Nice have exceeded pollution limits uh, caused once again, according to Auto News Europe, mainly by diesel mm. car engines or old diesel car engines. Let's try to be a little bit clearer than this. Uh, now, the uh, European Court of Justice has been trying to crack down on this particularly looking at in Germany, Italy, and parts of the UK, and said that France has systematically and pers- persistently exceeded the annual limit value for nitrogen dioxide since the January the 1st, 2010. I think you'll find quite a few cities around Europe have actually had exactly this issue. What they're really measuring in this are nitrogen oxides, which are linked to respiratory problems, premature death, etc., all sorts of of other challenges like that. And under EU rules, member countries are required to keep the gas to under 40 micrograms per cubic meter. Yep. I mean, they've got to do something. But the problem is with these these, uh, massive fines that are coming in, I am concerned we're going to have a massive knee-jerk reaction. Uh, I mean, a bit like the Bristol one. It's a... Are they banning? It's reported they're banning all diesels there with that Bristol. But is it? What about the latest diesel engines, which are quite clean? You know, this inverted commons and all the rest of it. I, I doubt that the diesel. I doubt that the Bristol bans will be will be nearly as nuanced as that. Sorry, I don't think it'll be that. Right. I don't think it'll be that close. It'll just be if it's diesel, you're not coming in. I'm genu- I mean, it's sorry. I, I'm possibly being overly yeah, harsh yeah. on British local government, but I don't think I am. Mm. I'll be amazed. They'll just they'll just aim for a blanket if his diesel is not coming in. And that's that. I mean, that's my concern that there's going to be an over uh, an overreaction towards a form of transportation which isn't possibly suitable or has inherent issues or down the line causes us problems, more more problems or different problems. But, you know, we've fixed this one problem, so mm-hmm. tick that off the box. It doesn't matter. We'll let someone else worry about it another time. The kicker is that well, it's going it's to mean that, that, uh, that it's harder to get deliveries into the, uh, into, the center of, into the center of Bristol. And I know it's between seven and five or something. That just means that there's going to be deliveries happening overnight. Or, or just there's going to be no way of actually getting stuff into the center. Um, because, you know, it takes trucks, guys. You're going to now start having to deal with noise pollution complaints, and it's it's that's what you need. And and in and in that time, there's no way there's going to be there's going to be one provided that will meet the needs of the supermarkets, the all these all these yeah. different things. Bristol's going to become more expensive to live in very quickly. But hey, so everyone will move out to the all the shops will close. We'll, we'll move out to the to trading estates and industrial estates and and retail. States on the outskirts, and there's going to be there's going to be no town centre, but 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 you know new hotspots of d- dirty air. <laughs> yeah, but they're not in the middle of the of the town, so it doesn't matter so much. That's what happens. I'm sorry. I've I feel it's I, I from what I've from what I've read and the descriptions, I feel that it's going to be uh, incredibly short sighted. I just don't think mm. it's thought through, or maybe it's not being reported on in enough depth. But it it doesn't seem particularly thought through from what what I've seen. Right, one last clean air story before we talk about other stuff after the break. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And the news that Lidl is going to install 300 rapid chargers across their their shops, spending 25 million. 
to do this in the next three years. And the uh, chargers will be operated by Podpoint. And it's stated that 0 to 80% charge in around 50 minutes. That will mean that, according to this article on one of our uh, regular websites that we find news items from, airqualitynews.com, that it'll be a third of all little stores will have it. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. I saw somebody tweet about this. It feels like it this week, but it really isn't. This isn't a surprise to me, actually, because I know that little stores, certainly in France, are a good place to find rapid charges. This looks like it's an extension of an existing policy. Well, Tesco announced doing something similar not so long ago. Morrison's last week said they're going to put in 100 across their stores, which is not loads, it has to be said. Um, it just makes it makes lots of sense. And again, banging on about our charging around Britain time, it just seems a sensible thing that whilst you're doing something else, it's charging. Although I do tend to feel that with shopping areas then – then um, sort of slowish to medium speeds and more of them are probably more useful. So as long as there's a – I hope there's a nice spread, so a rapid and some others, because otherwise if you're stuck in a shop, you can't necessarily come back to take your car off the rapid charger. And that's where the the technique will fall down. The, uh, The other trouble with shop car parks is, of course, that they put them all very near the store because it's easier to get electricity there. And when that happens, then you're more likely to get people just just parking in the the parking space because they don't care that it's a charging spot. I, I saw a classic last week. I saw a an overtly internal combustion engine car had managed to park over two. They hadn't just parked in an EV space; had parked over two EV spaces, probably so that nobody scuffed their car. Oh, that that's a time that you trap them in a big U of trolleys, isn't it? <laughs> Gosh. I thought, what an enlightened person that is. As I, uh, as I, as I restrained the urge to just plant my foot into the side of their car. Yeah, I mean, we've got people who won't, who, who, with no children, park in baby and child spaces. So it's always going to happen unless these car parks are properly policed, which they won't be because that requires staff and all the rest of it. Yeah. Although I have to say, I have to say there has been minimal icing of the new charge points that have been installed in my town. Cause I go past them a couple of times a day. Uh, they're next door to they're opposite a nursery. So I know some of the cars, cause I've seen them regularly. That's parents dashing out and dropping off and coming back. Mm. But I've only seen a couple of times that the, the, Points have actually been iced, mm. but I'm not sure that enough people know about them yet. So it means I need to get an electric vehicle on uh, loan pretty quick. <laughs> that was pretty much the only icing I saw all of last week, by the way. It was just so ex- amazingly explicit. It was wonderful. It was quite something. Well, Alan, I think that we are uh, at the end of the first part. <laughs> yeah, very much the first part. No. And, and I, I promise you there's no more clean air stories in the second half. Well, I say there might be if we're not careful. But yes, this is Guilt Minute, that point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth for you. If you feel it is worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very much. Of course, we understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. 
If you've done all that, you truly are wonderful. But how's about costing a friend who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about us? If for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free? Making sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss out on the next news show. Somebody pointed out you can't actually like and leave feedback on Google Podcasts, no, by the way. I don't believe you can, actually. Once they mentioned it, I had a little sniff around. So I'm sorry about I that, people. I don't think you can, which is no. annoying. Well, if you mentally like it on uh, on Google Podcasts, then that would be brilliant. At least try to like it, you know. just We, we, feel, the, we feel the urge <laughs> and your, your, your desire to do that. Shall we move on? <sighs> let's, let's. As I walked myself into a corner there. Bloodhound LSR. Of course, by now, most of you will have listened to the review that came out last Friday with Mark Chapman of Bloodhound. He's the chief engineer. I confess, I'm only about halfway through listening. I ran out of journey. <laughs> that was the problem. No, it was, a, it was a fascinating conversation. Really was a fascinating conversation. And uh, his background to, to get where he, he is now, it, it it shows with a lot of things there's no obvious path well yeah what, what's a career path again yeah a, a, a planned career path <laughs> yeah so anyway bloodhound mark and co are out there in the south african desert at the minute and they have just completed a couple of days worth of high-speed runs really i think they're at the third they took them a wee while to get the engine started because it had been in storage where rolls royce and, and it took them a little while to actually clear out some of that some of the the liquid that they put through to do it but it's uh it's passed over 300 was it over 300 miles an hour now 334 mm-hmm. um which it reached in just under 20 seconds can you believe so this is a whole load of runs they're doing to just try and find out more about the car and if you, you listen to the rear view you'll understand why they have to do it mostly it's because nobody's done it before there's no one they can ask and it's a completely new thing to have to do uh, so they're trying to find some what the limits are, and they're discovering, you know, what feels safe and secure in crosswinds, uh, how well the car tracks and runs and everything, and, and all the theory, how well it's going into practice. And where the, the theory stops, they're then working out what's actually what's actually happening. So yep. it, it's amazing. It was oh, the one. There was one line that Mark said earlier on, which is something like a thousand channels of data being streamed at once from this thing. Yeah. A thousand channels to, to just so that they can collect as much as, as they can. In real time, please, as it's going at over 300 mile an hour. In real time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was the bit I got to. It was like, will five, will four or five G actually enable us to do this? That that's, that's kind of the point I've got to uh, about halfway through. So, I mean, we've been, we've been following this for a long, t- for a while. Some of the trials and tribulations, but it's it's brilliant. I'm so I'm so pleased. I get dead, dead chuffed when I hear about it because it's a it's a it's a wonderful project. Every success, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. But WRC successful. Yes, uh, it was uh, the Rally Spain, and this was this is the only mixed surface rally I think in the. Uh, in the calendar, so it's tarmac and uh, and sort of dust, basically. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not gravel, but it's just basically dust, <laughs> dirt. Yes, yes. And the news that uh, uh, Nouvelle won uh, in his Hyundai, so he's turned round 
a string of recently disappointing results where he's he's kept there thereabouts with Tanek, but not really close enough. Ot Tanek came in second, beating Sordo by uh, 0.4 of a second on the last wow. on the last uh, stage, which meant that Tanek has won the championship. So somebody not called Sebastian. Well, he'd won it. He won it the other week. Didn't he? No, but but has won the. Ch- oh no, Toyota won. You know, I'll I'll shut up and let you finish, shall I? Yes. Someone not called Sebastian has won the world championship for the first time in sixteen years when it was Petter Solberg <laughs> in two thousand and three. This is uh, Toyota's first driver champion since uh, Didier Auriel in uh, nineteen ninety four. I think it was. So that they've had to go back a, a long way there, although there was many years that they weren't even in the championship. So that there was, would... there was, I was about to say there was a good long while of not competing in there. <laughs> Recognise that. And it means that the Manufacturers Championship is going down to the wire because Hyundai is uh, in first place at the moment on 380 with Toyota Gazoo Racing WRT, uh, second on 362 with Citroen in third on 284. So they're out of it. And M Sport are on 218, but M Sport is a much, much smaller proposition and organization in comparison because they're a, they're basically a private company with a bit of Ford support, whereas the others are factory operated jobbies. So we've just got Australia left to come mm. now. Uh, and that's it for the year. Uh, there was rumors over the weekend that uh, Tanex going to Hyundai, actually. Uh, was it Tanex that was going to Hyundai? Oh. I, I must yeah. have missed misheard. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see mm-hmm. how if that pans out because that was from Autosport, and I'm not sure how accurate they are right now with everything else going on. <laughs> Maybe mm. uh, they might mm. be distracted by other things. So we'll see. We'll see what's going on there. But congratulations to Tanek. He has looked by far and away the most consistent driver throughout the championship. Consistent is. You know, in inverted commas, when you consider it's the WRC and it's, again, been horrific for vehicles not being able to finish or have had to do the sort of second run thing on a Sunday because they got wiped out. So, so yeah, so it's been another great se- great season. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting in the off-season how this pans out. But, but Citroen have been disappointing, I have to say. Yes, yes, not not. Not brilliant at all. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, yep. well, we, they seem to, to shine earlier on, but, but not really. Um, yeah, but not, not really so much lately. <sighs> um, what is next? I have actually forgotten what was coming next. Oh, yes. Lunchtime read. Very quick one. JLR. I almost included this as a news story. Uh, and decided that, that actually everybody was far more interested in all the clean air stories of the week. JLR have earned a profit. Woohoo. Because there's quite a lot that's in the article. It's on Autocar and it's from Mark Tishore. The highlight headline part, though, is that the firm's posted £156 million pre-tax profit for the last quarter. That compares to, for the entire 2018-19 year, they posted a £3.6 billion loss. Now, it's got to be noted that in that £3.1 billion was a write-down in assets. That means a paper loss. Not necessarily every car was being sold at a massive 
physical loss. Uh, so, you know, that was only a 0.1 billion pound, a 0.5 billion pound, which is still an awful lot of money, uh, over the years. But yeah, this is the fruits of the, their big sort of turnaround plan, uh, being put into action. So do follow the link in the show notes to the Autocar article because it is, it is worth a, worth, worth a few minutes of your time to read that. Yep. Absolutely. Right, we're going to do something slightly different for the list of the week, aren't we, Alan? We've kind of made up our own list. Yes, we've decided to do our favourite cars from the Tokyo Motor Show. We have. So, because we're absolute pros, we've discussed exactly how we're going to tackle this in advance or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I'll start off by saying in the show notes, there is the Top Gear and the Autocar coverage from the Tokyo Motor Show which I thoroughly recommend everybody goes and checks out. So do you want to go with your first pick then? Okay, I'm going to go with my first pick is the Suzuki Hustler concept. Now, this is a cute little sort of pseudo 4x4 looking chunky K car. And I think it just looks fab. It's got plastic cladding. It's got pretensions of lifestyle-y. And it's all in this cute, tiny, little, bitty package. If any of you think what uh, know what the um, Toyota FJ Cruiser looked like, imagine a baby Toyota FJ Cruiser, yeah. especially as it comes in the same kind of blue and white color scheme and stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is the ones here, the the blue and the orange of of the pictures, and th- that's what it's like. It's it's like a sort of. That's what it looks like. It is so cute. It really is. It really is sweet. Really, really lovely little thing. Yes. Yes. Good choice. Good choice. Your first one? Well, my counter, my counter is, it's almost in the same sort of, it's not in the same mold, but it's the Suzuki Waku, the retro styled plug-in hybrid that have come out. It's a bit like the, it's a bit like the Honda E-City concept mm-hmm. was but it goes one step further with its retroness and the last coolest part of that is it transforms from being a little tennis saloon car into being a little two-door uh shooting brake type thing so that the back sort of pops up and it becomes a little mini um mini estate car which i thought was rather fun yeah later but again the same kind of retro vibe of of, of just just awesomeness my second choice is the toyota stroke daihatsu Copen gr sport Copen gr sport i i love it i've always quite liked the daihatsu Copen, but the fact that it's a gazoo racing just makes it all the more awesome absolutely yeah we've got we've got a uh, uh, one near us actually just a normal Copen. Uh, which I see every couple of weeks or so, and just go, yes, that's that's brilliant. Well done, you. Mm. Yeah, this is the newer version, and it's a Toyota model, which is way more aggressive looking at the front too. So it is, it is just like a, it looks just like a little angry. It's like a little angry thing. <laughs> yes. Is this is this an MX-5 and a Yaris glued together for the perfect car for Alan? Uh, it could well. There's an argument for that, really, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't. I I can neither confirm nor deny that that might be the case. <laughs> so, if Toyota could import this to the UK, please, and make it available, that would be awesome. I, you see, that's a tricky one because the Copen's cool, but it's not as cool as the uh, Honda, is it S660? Mm-hmm. Which is the the, the mid-engined convertible one, which just has to be even cooler. But but I seem to remember 
He's suggesting that this would be a good idea to Honda PR and Honda PR responding with, tell you what, you import it and we can have a shotty of it then. <laughs> which which didn't seem to be how I thought it should work. My, my choice, my second choice was the Lexus LF30. So EV concept, absolute pure concept car. Not going to go into construction, but the idea is that it's going to show the uh, future Lexus styling direction. And I think it looks fab. I think it looks like a better version of the Lagonda concept thingy. Mm. Talking of stuff they brought that, I think the, the Mirai looks cracking. The, the next generation Mirai. Well, I got asked my opinion by someone from Toyota a few weeks ago, just when the first photos had come out. And mm-hmm. I sucked through my teeth and said, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to not have an opinion until I've seen one in the flesh. Okay. Uh, and then I was reassured that it did actually look better than the original press pictures. And I think that the press pictures that have subsequently come out. Are we, are we saying it's brilliant when it's comparison with the, what is existing? Oh, but I quite like the, oh yeah, but the, you see, I quite like the existing mirror because it is so, oh my God, look at the future, which, Appeals to me because I'm a bit weird, but <laughs> yeah. no, I, 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 I'm not sure about its high nose. To be honest, I find its nose a little bit disturbing. Okay, uh, but again, I am. I have been assured that those original press pictures did not necessarily do it justice. I've seen other pictures since that weren't the press pictures, and it looks better than it did in the press pictures. So um, my 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 hopes are my hopes are high for it. There is, of course, I mean, we're only going to pick two each in this, but there is, of course, another um, uh, another Toyota car, which which may or may not be of interest to me that was announced uh, and shown just before the uh, just before the motor show there. But we won't talk about that. They've already posted pictures of it with a little GR Sport body kit and everything. It looked lovely. <laughs> that might be the new Yaris. <laughs> We'll probably only get the 1.5 hybrid here, though, so who knows? Yes, probably. So come on, then, uh, our last one. Yeah. I'll be going with the Mitsubishi MyTech Fev thing with the ridiculous turbine engine. We could do, because it's more interesting than the Nissan Ariva, which is named after a train company, you know. Um, yes, I think the MyTech was totally nuts. Yeah. So the MyTech looks like looks like a big version of one of those toy jeeps that little kids have. You know, the, yeah. you know the electric ones that they use to drive along pavements and bash into your um, bash into yeah. your ankles. So it's one of those scaled up a bit. Uh, and what was interesting about this was that it was a. Now I'm not sure if it was a plug-in or if it was an, just a hybrid, but to generate the electricity that it runs on rather than using an internal combustion engine or even a fuel cell, like the Mirai we've just discussed, it used a gas turbine, which is lightweight, compact, only creates ridiculously high exhaust temperatures. But the other thing about a gas turbine is it burns incredibly cleanly, and it will burn incredibly cleanly on just about any old rubbish. Oh, okay. So someone joke, you can pretty much run them on Jägermeister, you know. Um so, so it's a super clean burn type type technology, and it's been around for a long, long time. I mean, we've seen 
Oh, were you there that year? Uh, the uh, Rover, no, BRM had a gas turbine powered car. It's what was, it's what ran the Jaguar CX90. Uh, and there were loads of other experimental cars in the, in the, um, in the 60s and 70s, possibly even 50s, 60s and 70s. Rover at one point were really big on, on the idea of introducing gas turbines uh, and they never did because because managing the heat was just too mm. much, amongst other things. So, no, I think it's a really cool idea. It's nice to see that kind of stuff come back because it's interesting to know whether or not it can actually work with modern materials and um, heat management and all that kind of things. So, yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I like the idea of that. Not exactly the best looker of the show, but but some cool ideas. Supposedly, it could also it was four wheel steer. It could also spin round on on the spot, so it was like zero axis turning, oh, which okay. is always fun as well. You know, um, just as quick quick question. You know, the Mazda MX thirty. Yeah. That's the electric. Yes, um, you'll one. notice I didn't choose it and list it in the things I liked. No, I know. I've got to say, I think that's a miss from Mazda. It's the first miss in many years for me when it comes to design, but. Glossing over that, the is it the CX thirty they've got out? Who who's yes. that aimed at? Because there's a CX three and a CX five. Does it sit between the two? So the challenge is that the the CX three is really quite small. The CX five is really quite big, and it's uh, sort of somewhere in between okay. where you don't really want something as big as the CX five. Because the CX three is really a CX two. Yeah, you get my drift, and it's smaller than this than a Mazda yeah. 3. Um, so it's kind of filling that gap whilst also being a little bit different and not just being another SUV that that's sort of been photocopier scaled in the way of a German one, for yeah. example. Yeah, Okay, thanks, because I, I, I just wasn't sure who it was supposed to be aimed at. I think it's aimed at people who will buy lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine. Thanks for that insight. I know that sounds that sounds silly and a bit frivolous, but but really, it, it's bang on a market segment. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how it could 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 not succeed really. Yeah. Okay, do you want to get to the and finally? Because I, I well, sorry, just to sum up, I think Tokyo was um, I think Tokyo was quite successful. It's been much better than yeah, I think recent so car shows, motor shows, which I think have tended to be on the dull side of things. Yes, yes, exactly. And 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 I think that the end finally will just emphasize that difference in, in just a moment. But yeah, I do. I, I think it was it had the fun and interest and uh, a certain level of silliness, which I think comes with comes with the Tokyo show and I don't think it let let us down. No. And it, and it, when the Tokyo show comes around again it brings up that brings up that suggestion. I feel it brings up that suggestion that uh, maybe there's a place for K cars over in this country, particularly if cities are going to start flexing their muscles. Agreed. Agreed. But the, the, now I saw an interesting thing on this, this earlier on, which was uh, someone from Nissan, uh, one of the executives from Nissan saying, I, I wouldn't buy a K car at the minute. My wife wouldn't buy a K car at the minute. We need to do something to move them on from the smallest cheap zone and to make them, to make them more demographically accept, you know, more acceptable across demographics, so more people are into smaller vehicles as part of mobility and buzzwords, which I thought was quite an interesting take on it. And I think that that would need to be a bit more of the slant if they were to actually come as far as Europe as well. I thought that that was a, a good take, and I think that if the K cars are 
you know, we don't normally see the most basic K cars, and they really are basic in Japan. Mm. Uh, as you know, as long as they've got some doors and some aircon, then then that's <laughs> it, kind of spec wise. Uh, you know, because we always think of the sporty four wheel drive, slightly more nutty ones. Um, I think that, but I think that that if there was a, a sort of luxury K car setup, then that might be that might be a thing. But even the there was a concept from <laughs> just a moment. I've forgotten who it was. Yeah, it was it was Suzuki. Suzuki was showing uh, a different concept, which was like a it was a driverless car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what was what happened whenever a driver wasn't needed at all at some point in the future, uh, and it was like a little right. It was a mobile room. Uh, but even that with the, you know, the, the quality of the extra, the exterior detailing with the quality in the way that the interior had been done. Uh, if you could turn that kind of idea into a K car, then, then that really would, that would be saleable across the world rather than it being a tin box with a K car. That probably wasn't the greatest, you know, monologue of explanation <laughs> you, you'll ever have heard, but I know what it is I'm trying to get to. <laughs> No, no, I, I understand that. And finally. So the and finally goes completely to the most ridiculous edges of mobility and tries to show off just why uh, why the Tokyo show is interesting and just a bit batty. So in the, the Toyota booth at the actual show didn't really have any cars on it at all. It was a future playground. And one of the things on it, one of the things that people could try and and that could use, you know, they, they weren't just, you know, it wasn't just some people in metallic suits were showing these off and they were just sitting on a stand. You could actually go and have a go of one, was the e-broom. In the show notes, there should be a link to about the only video I could find that involved somebody demonstrating this, and it is a a Hungarian uh, YouTube, yeah, it's a Hungarian motor magazine YouTube channel. So I'm sorry, it's it's all in Hungarian, but you get the idea. Skip to it, skip past at least the first thirty seconds, okay? Uh, but he actually gives you a bit of a show of it up up close. And this is it's essentially a witch's broomstick with a an illuminated see through cat at the sort of at the sort of top of the handle end. And down in amongst the the uh, the fiber optic bristles, uh, uh, at the broom end there is there is a wheel, a little roller of some description. And depending on how low you tilt the broom down, that depends on how fast it goes. And you ride it wearing roller skates, so this is minimum mobility. You you go along and you run it along the ground, and it pushes you along on your roller skates as if you're riding a broomstick. <laughs> So yes, the the line on the the global Toyota newsroom site that goes through all the different concepts and all the different stuff that that, that Toyota was showing off said it's modelled after a broom used by a witch to fly through the air. This mobility platform integrates people and machines, allowing users to reaffirm the enjoyment of mobility. It is totally bat poo. Yes, I look forward to anybody trying it in a northern town and then getting punched off it for being silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she'll be going around San Francisco n next week. Then will it? 
Yes, yeah, well, that's it. I, I can I can almost see that there'll be copies of this. Uh, there was lots of other fun stuff. The e-palette, which is the autonomous driving thing, which will be autonomously driving around the Tokyo Olympics, was there. And also the Toyota Micro Palette, which is a tiny little robot which goes into the e-palette. Uh, and it can sort of hand you things from its the way it's sort of loaded. And it does a little bow after it's done it in all the animations. It's really cute. Mm. Yes, the e-broom was was definitely our um definitely the end final. Yes. Absolutely nuts. Do do go watch some of that crazy um it's quite funny because he keeps being made to slow down by the handlers that are there to try to make sure that people don't injure themselves with them. <laughs> so yeah, worth a worth a watch. Do parish notes, sir. Uh, review with Mark Chapman, chief engineer, Bloodhound LSR is out. Do have a listen. It's 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 a cracker uh, as usual uh, for review. But no, it's really good and really interesting and really, uh, really timely as well. I think Yep. special edition out this Friday, special edition out on Friday as well. Yeah. Extra bonus, super, uh, content, uh, recorded by two people who could almost hear each other. So that was a win. And that is it for this week. As usual, we'll be back, uh, next week. Uh, but between now and then, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Don't forget about Patreon available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Do whatever Google Podcasts lets you do. And whichever your other podcast app that lets you do such a thing, because these likes, these ratings really do matter. Uh, Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you and say, look, it's all right. We know there's been real problems with Skype, but don't worry. We're sticking with it. What are the best ways for them to send you a virtual hug? Uh, virtual hugs are always uh, accepted uh, via Twitter, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week, possibly. Uh, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>